That's a fantastic story, Mary. I'm going to actually weave that into my sermon, so thank you. You're going to eat chocolate chips while I preach? Okay. Thank you. So at Trinity, we are beginning a new sermon series, and it's on 1 John. We're calling it Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. So before I get to reading the text for this morning, um, I just want to give us some background information on the letter to help enrich and prepare us for the hearing of this scripture reading. This is a letter, but it's unlike some of the other letters of the New Testament. I think when we think about the letters written in the New Testament, we think about the Apostle Paul, letters like Romans, Galatians, Philippians. And Paul, when he starts his letters, he usually begins it by saying something like, this is I, Paul, writing to you, the church in Philippi, grace and peace to you. Well, John's a little bit less clear about who he is and who his audience is. But most scholars do believe that the person who wrote this letter is the same person who wrote the Gospel of John and also wrote Revelation. And it's audience. John's audience is a group of people who are probably part of that initial community of Christians that John pastored and John was with and was thinking about. But some of those people left that community And John writes this letter because he longs to want them to have fellowship with Jesus, and he longs to want them to come back into community and have fellowship with these people, to have fellowship with them. But it's also, this letter is also pretty unique in its style. When the Apostle Paul writes his letter, he's heavily informed by the Greek rhetoric of that day, long sentences, and he uses arguing points of persuasion with really kind of an intense... um, intense vocabulary, words that are very seldomly used. But John employs a style that's written in the Greek language that's really simple, a really simple vocabulary, short sentences, and it resembles more something of the distinctives of the Jewish tradition of writings. It feels a little bit more like Psalms and Proverbs. For instance, uh, John will use things like a positive statement followed by another positive statement or a negative statement. John wants to say, this is what I'm saying, and this is what I'm not saying. It's kind of like the psalm. So in Psalm 46, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The psalmist is clear about what he's saying and what he is not saying. John's pretty similar to that. So just a few of those things to keep in mind. Now I'm going to get into reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verses 2. Hear God's word for us this morning. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, We lie and we do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Will you join me in prayer? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When John talks about walking in the light, I think John is using this language of walking in the light as metaphor for what it looks like to have intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ, to have intimate relationship with Jesus. I think this happens in three different kinds of ways in this passage. One is that walking in the light is about intimacy by proximity. It's movement, walking, getting closer to Jesus. It's also intimacy by honesty, talking about the chocolate chips. And when you walk into the light, it's about engaging in honest relationship with God, and that creates a kind of intimacy. But three, the result of this intimacy isn't just for self-satisfaction. Ultimately, it's about transformation. So let me explain these things. Last week on Easter Sunday when Mary was preaching, she showed us the result of some of the common language work. There's a team here at Trinity for the last year that's been working on trying to find language to help us be a more connected community, to be able to talk about what the spiritual journey is. And so we showed you kind of the mission statement last week with this image. The mission statement is knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. Knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. Set behind those colors in that language is the picture of a labyrinth. The labyrinth, many of us have heard about a labyrinth here at Trinity, but perhaps some of it is unfamiliar to us. The labyrinth is actually a physical space where different Christian traditions will invite people to walk into those labyrinths. It's a very physical act of prayer. And as you walk into the labyrinth, you notice those times when you're closer to the center and when you're further away from the center. It's intimacy by proximity. How close are you to the center and feeling that? How close are you to that mission statement? And there's times in the spiritual journey when we're close to it and times when we're further away from it. At the end of the Gospel of John, there's a handful of encounters between the resurrected Jesus Christ and different people. One of those stories at the end of the Gospel of John is about Peter and Jesus. The story goes that Peter and a couple of disciples one night, they decide to go fishing. So they get in a boat and they go out into the lake and they try to go fishing. Now you might be wondering, why are they fishing at night? Why would people go fishing at night? Because they fished with nets. And so 
you would have to throw nets over the side of the boat, try to pull fish in. But apparently the fish could see, so you'd have to go fishing in the dark to try to catch the fish inside of the nets. But this night, they didn't catch anything. They didn't catch anything. They pulled up the nets. It was empty every time. And then in the morning, somebody came alongside on the beach watching them. The sun had just risen. And this person called out to them, throw the net in one more time. Throw the net in one more time. So they do it. And this time the net is filled with fish, 153. It's so heavy that they can't pull the net with all the fish into the boat. And just in that moment, Peter, who's sitting in the boat, he realizes who this person was that's standing on the beach. He gets excited. He grabs his stuff, and he jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. He can't wait. He can't wait to try to drag all the fish in the boat with him. He just jumps right into the lake to go swim after to see Jesus. He knows it's Jesus. He wants to go see him. When he gets there, Jesus has a fire going on the beach side. He's got a fish cooking on it. He's preparing a meal. And over this meal, Peter and Jesus begin to have a conversation. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my lambs. And then Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. And then Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And John says that when he asks him a third time, Peter begins to get really sad because it evokes for him memories in which he denied knowing Jesus three times in those precious hours during Holy Week. He remembers that time and he gets really sad. But he says to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Now, when we hear this story, perhaps we could think that Jesus is being a bit harsh here. By asking Peter three times, do you love me? It feels a bit harsh because it evokes a memory of this time in which Peter denied Jesus three times. But actually, I think there's profound grace in this story. Because Jesus doesn't say, Peter, did you love me? If he asked Peter, did you love me, he would have said no. He couldn't have said yes to that question. But he says, do you love me? Jesus asks this to him in the present tense. So when we think about walking in the light as a kind of a metaphor for having intimate relationship with Jesus, no matter where we are in that labyrinth, at the center, further away from it, in our spiritual lives, in our journey with God, there's always opportunity in the present to turn towards the middle. Jesus always invites us to that kind of a relationship. It's in the present tense, not in the past tense. But walking in the light is also intimacy by honesty. Walking in the light is about intimacy through honesty. Light is used in the New Testament as a metaphor for revealing something as it truly is, kind of giving witness to the way things really are. You shed light on something. You see it as it really is. John says, if we are walking in darkness and say we have fellowship with him, we lie and we do not do what is true. But if we flip that around and we say, if we are walking in the light and say that we have fellowship with him, we're honest and we are doing what is true. To illustrate this kind of idea about walking in the light as revealing what's really true, a few years ago when I was an associate pastor in Seattle, Washington, I knew a high school senior who was taking AP photography. 
And she wanted to try to find a way to um, reveal inner beauty, kind of stripped away from makeup and those things that we as a culture perceive as things of imperfections and things that aren't beautiful. She wanted to try to cast people in the light in such a way as to reveal someone's true beauty. And so she had a photo series of 20 different people that revealed things like freckles, wrinkles, dimples. But to see that as beauty and to not see those things as imperfection, as something to be covered up, like eating chocolate chips, to be covered up, to be hiding away from those things. But to bring that out into the light, and by bringing those things out into the light, it means it's a movement towards intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It moves you towards that center of knowing Jesus in that intimate way of fellowship. That's what John wants for these people that he's writing to. Walking in the light is also metaphorical language for how intimate relationship with Jesus is transformative. About how profound it is that it changes the very nature of who we are. It changes us. Let me give you an example. For the past few months, the Mexico mission trip team, we have been having meetings every, every other Sunday night or so. It's our mandatory Mexico meetings, MMMs. And during those meetings, we've been talking about our theme for this year for the Mexico mission trip. The theme is do everything in love. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. That's the whole verse. Do everything in love. And so we've been trying to think about love as action rather than love as emotion. And so to talk about this, I brought up this illustration from C.S. Lewis from a short passage he had on a chapter in love in his great book, Mere Christianity. When C.S. Lewis was writing this book, it was during World War II, and he lived in England. And so he was trying to ask Christian questions, given that context and given that time. He would ask, what does it look like to love our enemy? Jesus asks us that. What does it look like to love our enemy? Because we certainly don't feel love for our enemies, and yet we're supposed to be instructed to love our enemies. So how do we do that? That was Lewis's big question. How do we love our enemies? And this is what he says. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love that person. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him even less. Lewis's insight here is that actions of love produce feelings of love. This is the way that Jesus loved. Actions first, not feelings. In this way, Jesus was able to love the marginalized, was able to love the poor, the sick, the ugly, the wounded, Peter. He could love Peter because of that. He loved actions. He loved through actions first rather than feelings. And when we love the way that Jesus loved, when we love the way Jesus loved, we experience that kind of intimate movement towards fellowship with Jesus Christ, knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. Love as actions produce those kinds of feelings of love. 
That's what walking in the light is all about. It's about knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. And now I want to give us all an opportunity here in the context of this worship service to to do an act of love, to love the way that Jesus loved. I want to invite everybody in this sanctuary to pray for the students that are going on the Mexico mission trip and for the advisors who are going on the Mexico mission trip. So students, there's a bunch of you sitting over here. If all the students and the advisors, would you all stand up? And everybody who's going on the trip, stand up. And then I'm going to invite you to spread out through the front and go down the aisle. You can do it and go down. You're free to run. (laughs) Free to run. Move throughout the aisle. And then what I want from the rest of the congregation is to do a figurative laying on of hands. So just from where you're seated to lay, to extend an arm out. Everybody to extend an arm out or two out. And if you're standing next to them, you can actually put your hand on their arm or on their shoulder. And we're going to commission, we're going to pray for this group of people. And we're going to be loving the way that Jesus loves in the midst of prayer by asking God to protect them and care for them. So will you join me in praying for the people who are going on the Mexico mission trip? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, for the way that he taught us to love. We're so blessed and thankful that he loved through action because he loved the marginalized, he loved the poor, and he loves us. And so we're thankful that we have an advocate to you, God, that we have Jesus Christ. We pray for these students. We pray that this would become a transformative week for them, that they would um, just do everything in love this week the building of the houses, the time back together at the camp, that it would become a powerful experience for them, a life-changing experience for them. We pray for the advisors, that, God, you would give them energy and wisdom to lead well, to be those kind of friendly parents, to laugh with students, but also to help them build those houses to the best of their abilities. God, we pray for this trip. We pray for safety as we go down to Mexico, as we travel to Tijuana, And we pray for safety while we're there. And we also pray for good relationships would be built between us and the people there in Tijuana. So, Lord, will you be in this trip? Will we know you? And will we know your spirit alongside us while we go to Mexico? That's our prayer, God. We pray that you would commission this trip and that you would send us out to do your will in this world and to love the way that your son Jesus loved. So gracious God, be with us all and be with us on this mission trip that they go out on next week. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.